Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD on Twitter, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can find at theoryofdfs.com. And with uh, MLB season just just right now, like just just under 48 hours away, bringing back on the show uh, the, the the man, the myth, the legend, the guy behind the model of the blitz, the bat, the anything with if it if you have a projection model and it starts with B, it's probably it's probably done by this guy, Derek Cardi. Uh you don't play you don't play NBA DFS. Um, I don't. And, uh, you, and you don't you don't build an NBA model because frankly it's it's pretty easy to do. So your competitive advantage is probably not not as much. Uh NBA has gotten to the point. Like typically, I, I I play until maybe the last two weeks of the season where it gets kind of silly. Uh, but picture you know like September call ups in baseball, like when when we have these teams that don't aren't have nothing to play for, they're starting right. guys from single A and all that type. Like now picture that. NFL. Right, right. Picture week seventeen for the NFL, but it's every fucking day now <laughs> for the NBA. So I'm I'm more over the moon. Not because I enjoy baseball more, is I enjoy building lineups at like seven, ten lock or whatever, and then not having to like worry about anything. Yeah, late swap in NBA is supposed to be uh, not the funnest thing if if you enjoy your evenings. So baseball, baseball a little more subdued, which is nice. Right, but it's still there could be. I mean, we still have some instances with you know bullpen games with the pitchers getting scratched or the Angels yeah. not having a lineup. By seven o'clock. I was going to say, yeah, Joe Madden not releasing a lineup until an hour after lock. That's always fun. <laughs> but first, I wanted, I wanted to pick. I, I have a bone to pick with you. I wanted to get this out of the way. Oh, I know what this is going to be. I know what it's going to be. No, Go no, ahead. no, no. I don't think you do. I have two bones to pick with you then. Okay, I think <laughs> I, I, I figure out the other bone. Okay, the first, first bone to pick was based on a tweet from maybe a week or two ago. That you you have you have you have you have something you have a problem with my favorite baseball player of all time. Who's your favorite baseball player of all time? Okay, well, I'm from New York. I grew up in the '90s. I went to Yankee Stadium, and the best oh. part of the best part of going to Yankee Stadium, I'm telling you, Cardi, the best part of going to Yankee Stadium is 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 not is not is not the singing that take me out to the ball game or anything. It's the top of the ninth inning when the Yankees have a lead. And oh we all God. sing Enter Fucking Sandman. <laughs> Mariano Rivera comes out of that bullpen, and you're telling me that he should not be a first ballot unanimous Hall of Famer. Yeah, the only thing worse than Mariano Rivera being a unanimous Hall of Famer would be Derek Jeter being a unanimous Hall of Famer. But no, I would agree, like, but I would agree with that. That I would agree with. Well, Jeter was highly overrated. Okay, so so you're not gonna get I would argue much more strongly about Jeter than I would about Mo. Like, obviously, Mo was dominating. Like, for what he was, he was, you know, probably the best ever. But he was a reliever, you know, like. So? <laughs> he's a reliever. Like, the very first guy we're ever going to introduce to the Hall of Fame unanimously is a reliever. Like, that's just lame. Like, you had Ken Griffey Jr. a couple years before. You have Pedro Martinez. You have, like, Guys that you can really make a strong case should be unanimous. Mariano Rivera, like, he's a reliever. Let, let me ask you this, Cardi. Okay. Who's who's the greatest uh, baseball hitter of all time? Barry Bonds. 
Okay, but would there, people would argue with that? There'd be there'd be other people in that only because of steroids. If there was no steroids, Bonds, everyone would say Bonds is best. Not everyone. How about Babe Ruth? There, there's no argument. Bonds for what he did is better. Than, I mean, I guess you can make the argument, maybe. Okay, but, okay. So you, okay, we got we. I got that. You can make the argument. Who's who's the best pitcher? Who's the best second baseman? Who's the best catcher? Like we could have an art. There's a legitimate case to having an argument over over is is Ted Will uh, Ty Cobb during his time. What happened? You know, we have that argument of like if you took some of those players from the 20s, 30s, and 40s and plopped them right down into 2021, they wouldn't even be a minor league. I mean, the game is so much different, just physically and. The pitch, I mean, it's 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 completely different. Cy Young would not be Cy Young now, uh, but if you if, if if I asked you, uh, who's the greatest closer in the history of baseball? See, I don't like the framing of that question because here's the thing: it is incredibly easy to pitch one inning, and pitching is the same whether you're a reliever or a starter. You're throwing the ball to the plate. If you took any of the best starters of all time, if you took Pedro Martinez or Tom Glavin or Greg Maddox or Sandy Koufax or Pedro, whoever you want to take, and you made them a closer for their entire career, you'd have an argument. You'd have an argument that they're better than Mariano Rivera. They probably, It might not even be an argument. Mo might just be automatically below them. That That's why I think it's stupid that Mo is like, oh, well, like he did the easier thing. Like you could have taken any of those other guys who were good enough to start made him a closer, and they would have been just as dominant, if not more, than Mo. Yeah, but that's not their job. Well, I know, but why does he get extra points? Because he did an easier job. Why he was the best at that easier job. Well, it's still an easier job, though. Do, do, you, do, you, do, you, think, do you think that uh, the best starting pitchers in baseball, I'm assuming your answer is yes, that if the best starting pitchers in baseball ever pitched the, the one inning whenever, because, I mean, obviously your argument comes down to the fact that Closers don't matter. Like that, that whole concept that you know you had to pitch the ninth inning with the lead. Like, why aren't they pitching in the in in the sixth inning? In if they're the best pitcher, they should be in the the situations the where situation, right? Yeah. Not not oh they're up by three runs with no one on base. It's like no bases loaded in in a four four game in the sixth inning. That's when they should be coming in if they're your best pitcher. So I yes. get that the whole concept of saves. Is, is even, even without saves, though, like Mariano's numbers were great. Even if you throw out the saves, which are pointless, like his, his ratios and everything were great. Like absolutely great, no great. It's, he he had the best whip in in all of baseball, and that includes the dead ball era. Yeah. So that so that's that's the argument that I have is that for his job, is there anyone that did that job better? Is there any argument? Can you say Trevor Hoffman? Can you say there, Lee there Smith? probably isn't, but that Eckersley. job is so stupid and lame that making that your first unanimous Hall of Famer, I just, on principle, I have a problem with. I, that make the first unanimous Hall of Famer the best kicker in football or a punter. If they're, they're, they're the best ever at that job, why shouldn't, why shouldn't they be? People would be up in arms. Twitter would be throwing a shit fit if... You know, whoever I can't even think of it. But there, there, there isn't like, like great guy. Kicker, I mean, the first unanimous NFL Hall of Famer. People would not stand for that. But because it's Mo and he's a Yankee, it's like, oh, good for Mo. And he yes, played twenty years as the best closer in baseball. I get it. I just, I get it. It's just such a different bar that you have to clear. Like, I don't know. 
And again, I think I don't think closers should necessarily be compared to closers. They should be compared to pitchers. And if you put if you put any of the best pitchers of all time in a closer role, they would have probably been better than Mo or just as good. Right, but that, why would you use them for only one inning? Well, exactly, because they're so much better than that. So, like, that's why, I mean, putting any relievers in the Hall of Fame, I think, is a little bit sketchy to begin with. Mo belongs in there because he's the best. But to say he's unanimous, like, when relievers in general, like, there's a case to be made that they shouldn't go in at all? I don't know. Uh, but he's, he's, he's my favorite baseball player of all time. You're a smart guy, Jordan. You like the analytics, you like the math, but you're just like, you know what? Mariano Rivera, hometown closer, like all aboard. No, but if he's the one pitch. I mean, come on. Five I mean, foot eight, 160 sure. pounds, throwing 98 mile an hour cutters that break bats. I mean, how do you not root for that guy? I mean, it's great, but here's the thing. Make Mariano a starter. Flip the argument. He was a starter. He was a starter. In 95, he was a starter. They converted him to close. But I can admit, as a Yankee fan, I think the greatest uh, starting pitcher of all time is Pedro Martinez. I mean, I'm okay with that. I'm not Right, and he was on the Red Sox, so it's like I hated him. But I think his combination, the fastball changeup, I mean, I I think him, obviously analytics would say Kershaw, right? He's probably up there. Right. Well, like, Pedro went in right around the same time as Mo. He got, what, like, nine, probably 92% or 93% of the vote. So, like, who's voting for Mo that isn't voting for Pedro? Who's like, not voting for Pedro? That's, I know. To, to me, that that should be your problem. Not that, that Mariano Rivera is 100%. It's that, I mean, that's what, 8% of people problem, didn't vote for Pedro Martinez? That's my problem. That pe- There are people who aren't voting for Pedro, who aren't voting for Griffey, who aren't voting for Maddox. But then who... But the offshoot of that problem, it's more just like an annoyance. It's like, okay, there are always going to be people, I guess, who don't vote for these amazing, great players that everyone knows belongs in there. So then why are why are those people voting for Mo? Like, where where is that overlap in the Venn diagram of these people that... that it's a problem the with the people, Cardi. You have a problem not with Rivera. You have a problem with the fucking baseball writers. I mean, I, I do. I, I think there is some... I think the judgment is off sometimes with some of these older writers, yes. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I personally, I think most of the guys that are on the ballot now should go. There's no reason why. To, to, I, I know that there's a reason. I, it, the error is what the error is. There's no reason why Bonds. There's no reason why Clemens. There's no... Clemens, Clemens was a great pitcher. Before, I mean, like, this is... I mean, we're getting to this point of stupidity. Clem, these guys were... It, right. Clemens is on steroids, but he's also pitching against guys that are on steroids. And right. still... On steroids. Like, and still dominating. He, he still did well. Yeah. Right. If I had a vote, I'd put them in easily. I would put them in first time. Right. So that, 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 was, that, was my, that was my bone to pick. Once I, once I was like, how is he a unanimous Hall of Famer? I'm like, dude... <laughs> Who did the job better? There's no one. There's no There's no argument about it. Well, I, we just talked for 10 minutes about it, so I think there is an argument. No, but. no, no. There's not an argument. If we, if we can find it to who the best closer of all time is, no one says, no, I'd rather have Eckersley. Or I'd rather have Goose Gossage or something. He's, no, it's, it's Mar- Mariana Rivera, and there's no... There's, like, if you don't say Mariana Rivera for that, like, then you're just, I don't know, you're an idiot. Yeah. It's fair so, enough. So... And, but, the, but your argument is true because uh, in the bat, one of the things that, that I, I like about the bat that separates it from other projection systems, it seems like. it seemed, This is purely anecdotal, but just from my experience of using it for four years, is that 
your pitching project, like the the I think hitting projections. Would you agree with this? That that for batters, the variance of a single game makes that like you could have half half the batters on a slate pretty much project kind of the same, or within such a range of out some such a small narrow margin that like guys could hit zero. 18, like, it's like, like, half the slate is like that. But for pitchers, it seems like your projections, I don't know what variables are going into it, but, like, every single season for the past four seasons, there'll be, there'll be two or three slates a week where I look at the pitcher projections around the industry, and they're all kind of match up, and then you are like, nope, we're playing Glenn Sparkman today. <laughs> right like it's it's always like it's drew smiley <laughs> right it's yeah. like that there's some 6k pitcher that has like a four point plus median projection higher than like any other projection model and sometimes it doesn't work out yes i i it's not a hundred percent but it's eerily it it eerily works out it seems anecdotally more so than not so it, is there is there a re is there is there a reason for that other than you have secret sauce and you're not going to tell anyone. I mean, part of it is is the secret sauce, honestly. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I think the bat accounts for more things than other systems do. Like, I, I I'd be very surprised if there's any system with as complex or or good methodology as the bat that accounts for more factors. And so, you know, a lot of times people will talk about, and I'm not, I'm definitely not calling out anyone in particular, but like people will have their their baseball models. And they'll just kind of be like, okay, well, the things that I think matter are are the quality of the pitcher and the ballpark and uh, the BVP or the the Vegas line or whatever it is. And they'll kind of just like assign arbitrary weights to these things. Um, and it'll go into a model and it'll come out and it'll give you something. And and when you do that, you know, I guess other systems, you know, they'll they'll come out looking similar, but the bat operates differently than that. Like it's looking at every single plate appearance that every player or pitcher has ever taken. It's looking at the context of those and it's adjusting for it. And it's looking at, it's not like arbitrarily weighting the different factors. Like it accounts for park and weather and umpire and defense and catcher pitch, pitch framing and everything else. But everything is, um, it's accounted for organically. Like you said to me in the past that you, you notice that the bat like weighs, weighs park factors more than other systems seem to. And it's not that the bat is weighing park factors more. It's just that's how the parks are. When you look at the parks isolated from everything else, if one park, you know, boosts home runs by 10% and deflates strikeouts by 3% and boosts base hits by 4% or like whatever it is, that's what's going into the projection. I'm not saying, okay, well, parks are only worth this much relative to pitchers. It's like, no, if the park boosts it by 10% and boosts it by 10% and that's it. And so uh, I think a lot of times you know, just, just that type of thing will, will differentiate the bats projections and make it be more okay with playing a bad pitcher like Drew Smiley or Glenn Sparkman or whoever, because all the other factors in the matchup set up so well that even though he's a bad pitcher in this matchup, he's maybe more like an average pitcher. And for five or six K you want to play a guy like that. So, so do you think it's uh it's, it's like, it's like death by many cuts. It's like, it's not one necessarily, it's not like one big, oh, I have the secret sauce thing I put in, bink, and now this guy gets four points more than anything else. It's it's the fact that, like, you're getting point two here. You're getting point one there. 
and because yeah. and because you're taking so many more factors than other projection models that obviously <clears throat> from a broader sense it a lot of other projection models are going here's your you know like kind of in a schedule adjusted way like your past performance weighing that appropriately based on a prior and regressing forward based on that and then going Okay, based on this, and then based on the hitters the same way, put them together, and then you add a little, you know, the weather, umpire factor, all that type of stuff. And it's like, okay, from a baseline standpoint like that, but you're taking into account the fact that, like, well, instead of thinking of, like, lefty-right platoon splits as, like, one whole thing, you're doing it more organically of, well, from a, on a hitter level, on a pitch level, on a, you know, you're, you're taking... You're, these other factors, while one not being like highly weighted, it just like the additions of like these point ones everywhere, like make a guy have a three point higher meaning projection. But why? Why do you think that that happens more so for pitchers than it does for hitters? Because um, I notice, because Cardi, I notice that it doesn't like typically around the industry. We know what the good stacks are. We we know who's underpriced. We know we know Mike Trout's Mike Trout. We know Christian Yelich is Christian. I mean, we know we know who the guys are, but it's 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 much more rare to see like all the decent hitters have much you know three point higher median projection on a certain day. If anything, in your hitter projections, I, I view it very similarly to the pitchers that sometimes. It goes for the, the 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 garbage. I mean, it goes along with my vomit stack strategy, of like <laughs> there's sometimes in the bat where the team that has like a three point eight implied run total for their price is like, wow, based on the they're much more of an average team today based on this matchup and weather and everything put the combined, and people are going to treat them like a shit team, even though the betting line is also treating them as a shit team. And I'm like at one percent ownership, at two percent ownership, like maybe I could take advantage of all these medians being a half a point to a, a point higher. But why do you think that on like on like as a as a whole, the pitching projections tend to be a little bit more contrarian to much of the rest of the industry? Like we always have like the bat typically hates uh, Lucas Giolito. I mean, we had a uh, we at least had a time period because it gets into one of those things. We ha- we have these conversations in the bat chat. Which is on yep. Roto Grinders, where you could find the bat. You could buy the bat now. Uh, so so go buy it. Go to rotogrinders.com slash the unbat, whatever. You'll say go the to Curry's. <laughs> you'll, you'll find it. Uh, we always have these conversations of uh, the bat hates this guy, right? But today it likes this guy. So like we have to we almost think that that the bat is some type of sentient being. Of like, <laughs> well, the bat normally hates Giolito. So when Giolito actually does project well. We almost take it as like, oh, that should mean a lot more because from like a baseline perspective, your system like really does doesn't doesn't like that guy and and but does that does that make any sense? Shouldn't that not make any sense? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it kind of makes sense because it. How could how could your system like a guy and not like a guy? I mean, look look at the big news that happened yesterday, Cardi. I think it's the biggest news in the history of the bat. It might be <laughs> right that that Rugnando Door did not make Rugnando the Texas Door. Rangers because that guy 
would be 2,900. That'd be like 3,200 on DraftKings and like 2,200 on FanDuel. And this guy's, it, he must have like the, the, the widest rate, like the binomial distribution of him. Like he never scores seven points. Like he never, no. never. <laughs> it's zero or 18. Yeah. And, and because he was always so cheap and then he'd bat like fifth or something in there. And then, and then obviously this is before the Rangers changed their ballpark. So he was in a great park with 100-degree weather. And, right. and his skills were good for DFS. Like, he struck out all the time, had a terrible Babbitt, but he had power, and that's where you get points in DFS. So, like, his mean projection was always pretty good, um, but his distribution was just all over the place. Right, but now now that now that he may not be on a team anymore, uh, we don't have to play him, like, a third of the slates of the year now. <laughs> I'm so excited. I don't even have to think about him. And then the Rockies are going to troll us. They're going to sign Odor. We're going to have him in cores half the games, and I'm going to play him 60 times this year. But yeah, but that's what I'm talking about. By by here's, I mean, pe- people that that don't even have the bat. I'm telling you, Cardi. I'm in other chats. I've seen on Twitter that Odor news came out in the DFS community. <laughs> people people that don't even have the bat know that Odor is like the bat special because. Obviously, you play on you play on DraftKings, you play on FanDuel. You know about you know who uses what and what project, and you know that you're like okay. You see Odor in the lineup. Someone's using Cardi's projections today, right? So like yeah. that's the that. But but those are the types of things that does from your perspective, like like what you said with the ballpark factor. Like you your system tends to weigh ballpark factor much more than other than other projection models, but. You say that that's what it should be. So, yeah. like, it, it, it's that yeah, the I'm other models correct. are wrong. Right? That's what it should. But you also admit that because it's a higher mean, higher median, it just means it's a wider range of outcomes. Like, you're, you're projecting a higher mean, but you also understand that with the, the ballpark factor doesn't mean anything if the guys are just hitting ground balls and getting strikeouts. Right. So it's just it saying that if the if ball is a crappy pitcher and he's just throwing meatballs and the guy's blasting him over, over any, you know, any fence. So, you know, it, it's all about probability and anyone who's listening, listening to this or watching this knows from listening to you that DFS is all about probability and we just try to maximize our edges and maximize our probabilities. And I think that's, that's what you kind of been talking about with the bat. It's little, a little small edge with parks, a little small edge with weather, a little small edge with umpires. And they all kind of compound, and every once in a while, they compound enough to make a guy, you know, kind of pop up that you wouldn't expect to be there. And I think it happens maybe more with pitchers because on a daily basis, there is less variance with pitchers than there is with hitters. I think also it might just be anecdotal because there's only so many pitchers on a slate, so you kind of see them all. You see one guy really pop up. But with hitters, like let's say where we have the Angels in a really good spot today. Maybe it's going to impact the different hitters in the lineup a little bit differently, but if it's a good spot in general, it's going to be a good spot for all of them. David Fletcher is never going to project above Mike Trout or above Shohei Otani because he's David freaking Fletcher. Even though he's getting that boost, it's maybe not as noticeable because the other players on his team are getting more or less that same boost. And also, the real bad hitters, you don't see bump up the way real bad pitchers do, I think, because... The bat doesn't just say, okay, well, this park is really good for offense, and so everyone is getting the exact same boost to their offense. If a park's really good for home runs, say, Mike Trout might get a bigger boost than David Fletcher because David Fletcher's power is crap. 
You know, if he's starting at a very low baseline to begin with, a great power park isn't going to do much for him because he doesn't have the power to hit the ball out of the park regardless. Right, but you also see that with cores. Like a lot of people, I mean, I think the misconception on cores is that it's a good power park when in fact it's it's not. It's it actually negative on home runs, but it's just absurd on like extra bases. Yeah, it's not necessarily negative on home runs, but everyone's like, oh, Coors is the best home run park in baseball. It's like, no, it's like it's like sixth or seventh, but it like it, it's really good at suppressing strikeouts, which blows people's minds. Like, how can a park impact strikeouts? That's the thing Coors does best. That and base hits, like you said, because the outfield, it's the biggest outfield of any park in baseball. Like, there is so much room for balls to fall in, plus you have the thin air. So, like, Coors, and, and, that's the two things it does best. It's not and, home and, runs. And the thin air is what is what suppresses the strikeouts because the pitch movement isn't as dramatic. Right, exactly. It's easier to make contact with the ball because it's because the air is thinner. It's getting to the plate quicker. The ball has less of a chance to move, and so it's easier to hit. And are the are, are these the types of things? Like the the biggest question for me, the, I mean, I know the answer. I mean, that's what we're talking about today. Is like now that you have like now you have the bad X. Okay, so now now that that's even better. That includes Statcast data. Like, don't you believe that like other projection models are good? Like like you you would admit around the industry that these other that it if they're better than no projections, right? Oh yeah, and any projections better than no projection. There's varying levels of good, but um, any any projection system will be better than somebody not using projections. But what makes it different? Like, I think the the big question that people have when it comes to the bat is like, well, I can make my own model, or I could, I I could use this projection set or something like that. What makes it that dramatically different, especially in a game that is such high variance that I I think I think people. I think people in NBA, like we, we get used to like NBA and NFL. I think we get used to sports that have a, a, a narrower distribution of outcomes. I, a, a narrow, and like not because uh, obviously football is high variance also, right? Because mm-hmm. of, of touchdowns. But yes, there's a, there like in NFL, the, the difference in opportunities is dramatic. In NBA, it's dramatic. A player that plays 36 minutes and has 30% usage is dramatically different than a player that has 14 minutes and 10% usage and is just sitting in the corner or whatever. And in NFL, there's a difference between a running back that's going to see 26 touches and a tight end that's going to see two catches because he's maybe because he's blocking. In baseball, pretty much, I mean, four bats uh, on average, every everyone. Like every like yes, yeah, some will be three, some will be two if they're a platoon. You know they get pinch hit. You get some that get five. The leadoff guys and a, and a, they score enough runs, they'll get five. Sometimes obviously six, seven, but for the most part, your your the plate appearance expectation is going to be fairly narrow. Right. So It'll... so the difference between hitters really comes. I mean, I mean is 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 that is is that why having so many more variables in your system shines its light? Because, like, when you do the blitz, Cardi, you have to put in Michael Thomas is getting a 26% target share. Like, that's not something that the projections are, like, 
right? You you yeah, have you, you to can't say, automate that. Yeah, right. You can't automate that. You have to say, I there's going to be you know you could say on average is 44 passing attempts in this game. There's going to go like, and you have to determine based on your football knowledge of is it going to be 18 percent target share as a mean, 22 percent, 20. But in baseball, like what what other than the pitch count do you put in manual? Um, that's about it. I might tweak pinch hit percentages, especially at the start of the year for guys, you know, switching teams, stuff like that. But that's pretty much the only thing pitch counts and even pitch counts. I've automated a lot. You know, it's only when we have a manager come out and say, you know, okay, he's going to be limited to 80 pitches today. And the bat's like, okay, he came off a rehab start. He threw 60 in that one. So I was expecting 75, but the manager says he can go 80. So, so I'll bump it up to 80 like that. That's the extent of manual stuff with baseball, really, because, um, everything is able to be calculated and automated, even plate appearances, you know, like you said in football, you have to say, okay, Michael Thomas is going to get 30% of the targets and Emmanuel Sanders is going to get 20 and whatever it is, plate appearances, you know, the bat can calculate. We know, okay, this guy's hitting first, second, third. We know the first guy gets this many more than the second over time. And so it can figure out exactly, you know, down to the decimal places, how many plate appearances a guy should get on average. Right, and no, and, there's no manual component at all of that. Right, but I'm assuming with the plate appearances, it also takes into account the totals of the game and the pit. Right, like, so obviously, gonna score more runs are going to get more total at bats, so all the players are going to get are going to get more. You know, right? But but a lot of times that's what's causing like the increase. Like like I I mentioned it on on the pregame show. I've been doing some uh, on the Rotogrinders pregame show some like you know primers type episodes for MLB and like the difference between four at bats and five at bats is dramatic. It is. It's 20% of your opportunity. Like you cannot score points not being at bat, right? There's, there's, there's no chance for, uh, for a hitter to do that. So if the difference between a ninth hitter and a first and the first guy in the order is the difference. I mean, that's 20%. That's, over 20% of their projection is just the batting order. And that's yeah. the reason we see so often when DraftKings or FanDuel, they price, you know, Roman Quinn, right, for the Phillies, you know, is batting ninth. And it, DraftKings has him at 2,800. And you're like, well, why the hell are you playing Roman Quinn? And then for whatever reason, he's leaning off today. And it's like all of a sudden, Roman Quinn is the slate. Yeah. Right. And then, then you go, well, he's not even that great of a hitter or whatever. It's like, no, but instead of getting a, a plate appearance expectation of like 3.4, he's now getting a plate expectation of like 4.6. And like that alone, having an extra one and a half at bat more expectation, like, especially in a sport where everyone's going to get about the same opportunity, uh, like that to me, that's that's the difference, and that's also part of why the pricing. Like, imagine Cardi, if we saw this, I think two years ago on DraftKings. I think this is the way they should do it. This this is the realistic way of doing it. When they priced, if you remember, they priced everyone in a much n- narrower range. They did that for like the first month of the season, where like oh, the che- where the cheapest hitter was like thirty eight hundred. And yeah. the most expensive hitter was like 5,800 because that's what it should be, right? We, we, we have opening day here where Cedric Mullins is 2,100. 
David Dahl is 2,500. Tommy Pham is 3,100. Wal Bellinger is almost 6,000. And it's like, I know, uh, yes, Mookie Betts, yes, Ronald Acuna, yes, they're, they're the best hitters. They're the best guys. We get it, right? Fernando Tatis, I get it. But it's still major. It's still Major League Baseball. They're 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 not a hundred. They're not twice or or three times better hitters than Cedric Mullins. Like if they're three times better hitters than college baseball players, maybe, maybe, <laughs> and even then that's a maybe, right? Yeah. So like from a from a from a rational standpoint, no one should be priced three times higher than anyone else as a hitter getting the same number of at bats, and. Do you think that because of that, this is why we get the going back to the Rugnagd Odor type of thing? <laughs> that it's not that the bat loved Odor, it's that the, the sites just kept him priced at such a level where his home run chances were as good as $4,500 players, and they just constantly priced him at $3,400, that the bat had no choice to say, well, they both have the same chance at hitting a home run, then why wouldn't you play the guy that's $1,100 cheaper? Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly it. And it's not like the bat was higher on Odor relative to, um, higher on Odor's talent relative to other systems. Like, you would go to Fangraphs, you'd look at the bat's projection for Odor, and you'd be like, oh, the bat thinks Odor's a below-average hitter and the exact same as Steamer does and the exact same as Zips does. Um, but it's just the way the pricing is. And I think a lot of times people do confuse that pricing with like, uh, you know, like this, uh, this conscious thing that the system is doing to like, love this guy. It's like, no, it just thinks he's better than he's priced at. Right. For, for his, for his range of outcomes. Right. And exactly. his range of out and for he's priced as if his range of outcomes is, you know, like, like we have, like we have David Dahl, for instance. I mean, uh, for this upcoming slay, I'm just, I'm just looking at, at the Roto Grinders projection. So he's 2,500, possibly batting second against Brad Keller with a platoon advantage. And like his, his, his mean projection is like eight, right? But that doesn't mean he's going to score eight. Like he's most likely going to score like two or three or like 15 or 16. And, but that middle is eight. So for 2,500 for that middle like is fine, but the likelihood of him scoring eight points, (laughs) maybe not. So I think, I think that's where people get frustrated with with projections in baseball, is that you know oh JD JD Martinez facing a lefty at Fenway Park, they they have him at forty forty one hundred, like cash play got to play him right you got to play him and then he goes like like oh oh for four with three strikeouts and people are like Cardi why 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 JD Martinez why it, it liked it it liked him it's like no it liked him at forty one hundred but if he was forty seven hundred we'd be looking at him going, eh, I guess you could play him, right? That $600 difference in the makeup of your lineup, like just me- that's, that's lineups, not players, right? But if the, if the, if the sites are going to price these guys, that's not relative to their, their, their overall range of outcomes. Like that, like Joey Gallo is going to, ha- if Joey Gallo's 3,600, like Joey Gallo is going to, you're going to see him pop. The problem is that you you have to have the understanding in your head. You're taking on a guy that's going to get nothing or get a lot. Like this, this, he's a nine point median. Yeah, good, good luck seeing if him ever scoring nine points. <laughs> in I don't a like Joe Gallo's ever scored nine points in his life. <laughs> right. 
But that's the thing. Like if you're going to use projections like this, and you should, you do really need to understand that range of outcomes. You need to have that probabilistic thinking because, you know, projections are maximizing that probability. They're our best guesses. And I think the bad is better than anything else you can find. But it, it's not – it's not saying, okay, this is definitely what the guy's going to get, and if he gets more or less, it's wrong. Like, it's uh, we're be- we're trying to get as close as we can get, and we're never going to be able to get there exactly because randomness. But uh, you know, we we stack on as many edges as we can find, and then we're better than the next guy. Right. Well, I mean, because you take a look at like t- like Freddie Freeman could have the same mean or median projection as as uh, Bryce Harper, but like I feel much more comfortable playing. Freddie Freeman in my lineup because it's a lower variance player. Right, right. He's a he's a he's he has power, but he's also a better hitter into putting the ball in play, getting a double, getting a single. Like I feel like if I play Freddie Freeman, yeah, I gets if he gets me six or seven points, I'm like, okay. You know, he didn't hit a home run, he got a double and a run. He has eight points or whatever. But then you have Bryce Harper who like like half the time he's like he either walks or I mean, he's no, two. Walker Homer, and that's right, right. It. Maybe and, steal a base when he walks, though, which can be nice. But yeah, that that's that's Bryce Harper, and it depends. I mean, obviously, on the contest you're playing in, maybe in the contest you want that variance and you want Harper. But understanding those differences is important when you're building your lineups. Uh, another question I, I've, I've never asked you, but I, I've been contemplating this. It's 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 a strategy. It's a stack. It's it's been in the back of my head for years. When I choose, because people ask me about choosing stacks. Now, obviously, I say I look at the bad projections, and if it says that the Pirates are under undervalued today, I don't care that they're none, they're one percent owned. I'm playing my vomit stacks. I'm doing that every day, and I'm waiting for the bink. So, so that that's that that's what I'm doing. But when it comes to, I believe from a correlation, how much uh, this is is a multi part question, uh, all around the same subject. You talk about like projecting like the range of outcomes for players as far as the range of outcomes for stacks when it comes to the the correlation coefficient. So my my understanding, this may be anecdotally, uh, with some data over the past four or five years that I've been playing MLB DFS, is that I tend to want to I tend to target pitchers, obviously not stud pitchers, but target pitchers that walk batters more so than content. A lot of people think, oh, this guy doesn't strike many people out. I'm going to stack against him. And to me, that's false thinking. The reason he doesn't strike anyone out is because he's he wants contact and he relies on BABIP and he tries to keep the ball on the ground. Now, from a stacking perspective, that seems like a picture that's not going to, that may give up runs but not get blown up. But mm-hmm. a guy that, that, may walk five or six guys if he doesn't have it on. It's just, it's just constantly giving your players higher plate appearance expectation. They're putting runners on base that you have that could score runs that you could run the the home run that the guy that you have in the lineup now gets extra points because he has two guys on base rather than no guys on base. And so I tend to target pitchers that walk guys more often than not. I think, I think that's, do you, do you think that's rational? Because that's, that's, that's the first part. Do you think that's rational? Do, do you think that that plays out when it comes to, like, projecting, like, the stack and the team as a whole of, like, what is the most predictive factor in these 85th percentile outcomes rather than just the mean? 
So I've never studied it on that level, but I have kind of suspected stuff like that. Like there, the range of outcomes is different based on the type of pitcher. Like a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, this guy gives up a lot of home runs. So uh, I want to stack against, against him today. And yeah, maybe he does give up a lot of home runs, but how often does a pitcher give up like six home runs in a game? Like not that much. He's going to give up a couple and then he's going to get yanked. And if there aren't enough guys on base, then it's not going to be great enough for your stack. So like, I, I do think there is potentially something to finding the right profile of pitcher to really have those blow up outings. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it is kind of those, those high walk type guys, especially the guys who give up walks and can give up home runs. Now on the hitter side, <coughs> this is what I've suspected. I like, we had like last year or the year before. I'm not, I'm not COVID year. I don't even count as a year. I mean, I, whatever they did last year, I just, I didn't play or maybe I did. I don't even remember. Like this is that I, I don't like that. That year doesn't 2020 doesn't exist to me as, <laughs> as, as, as a sports year. Uh, we have the, like a team like the Rangers, right? A team like, like the Rangers, the sh- most strikeout heavy team in the entire league. Uh, I suspect this is purely anecdotal. I have not even looked at the data or or anything. I've not done any type of analysis that teams that strike out more often are exponentially worse to stack because of the rallies getting like, no matter what pitcher they're up against, if you're up against a team that strikes out too often, like that, you're you're basically creating outs that get nothing that get nothing moving. Like you even want, like obviously you don't want guys that ground into double plays. But I mean, how do you predict that? I mean, maybe you could tell me you could predict that. I don't know. But do you do you believe that it's a negative correlation to 85th percentile outcomes for five man stacks? Is it negative when the team is a heavy? Sh- when you're st- you're stacking guys that have power, you're stacking. Imagine having a lineup with Odor and Renfro and Gallo, like like they and they're up against garbage pitcher, but like they'll still strike. They're still going to strike out plenty that you could just never. Your individual players, you may get solo home run here, two run home run there, but you're never really getting a five man stack unless they obviously put up sixteen runs. That they're just striking out too too often. That that. Maybe two guys do well, but the whole five-man stack has a much lower percent chance of of hitting that GPP winning ceiling than maybe weaker hitting teams that just don't strike out as often. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, I haven't I haven't studied it, but this is something I'm definitely going to put on my list because I think there there could be something to this. Like it, it makes sense, you know, why that could be a thing. Have you have you done much like analysis on 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 the correlation factors between players? I mean, not to the extent of like, you know, these are the the attributes that lead to, you know, a wider range of outcomes, you know, higher ceiling, lower floor type of thing. No, I've done it obviously on the individual player level, um, but on a team level, no, I really haven't looked at it. Right, because on a player-to-player level, there wouldn't be any correlation because what does one person have to do with the, I mean... You're only bad. Right. One person's bad. I mean, that's, it's not like, well, when he, cause you'll, but I mean, you'll see, I mean, it's a talking point. You, you've, you've heard this in the past. Do you tell me if this is accurate? We always hear 
I mean, I, I've been, I mean, I follow baseball. People always make fun of me that I don't watch sports or whatever. But I was a baseball umpire when I was younger. I was hardcore rotisserie baseball. I'm into all of this sabermetrics. I read the Bill James shit. So like, I just want to throw that out there that I'm not just like some schmuck. Uh, that, oh, when, when you, the protecting the order, right? It's like, oh, well, you, when you bat in front of Mike Trout, you get more fastballs because they don't want to put you on base. You know, like that whole notion of like, well, it, is this guy better correlated to that guy when he bats in a certain order? Like on, on its face, sounds stupid. Like what would the batting, like you're just batting to bat. I mean, like what, what does one player have to, oh, when this guy's on base, when Billy Hamilton's on base, does the pitcher pitch any different because he has to worry about him stealing, which means he's going to throw more fastballs. Then we have the NL where the eighth hitter, like I've always, I have the, 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 the notion that I don't like taking the eighth hitter on NL teams at home because like if the pitcher's up next, like they don't give two shits about the eighth, like the eighth hitter is not, uh, we, we don't care about putting this guy on base with two outs because the pitcher's almost a free out. Like how much of, how much of that matters? Some of that matters. Like the, the general concept of protection, you know, like, oh, this guy's going to do better because he's, uh, he's got a good hitter behind him. Or, oh, this guy's the only good hitter on his team. He's got no protection, so he's going to be worse this year. Like that kind of thing most studies have shown not, not to matter. But like the eighth hitter hitting in front of a pitcher, that does matter. There, there's a big gap between a regular MLB hitter and a pitcher. And you do see the eighth hitter tend to get walked more. You see that he doesn't steal bases as often because why are you going to make an out in front of a pitcher? Um, especially if there's, you know, a pitcher come up at the start of the next inning. Um, so we do see that kind of thing a little bit, but like generally protection is not a thing that matters too much. Like if you're looking at splits and saying, okay, when this guy hits lead off, you know, he's a 300 batting average hitter, but when he hits second, he's a 250 hitter. Like that, that's nonsense. Right, that doesn't make any sense. So th- does the bat yeah. take into account that, that eighth hitter? Type, that, that, does it take any into account? Because if it, if it yeah, takes it, that, so it, if it takes that into account, but it that doesn't take into anything else into account. Yeah, it, it, I mean, again, everything has its kind of its own system, its own thing that goes into the, the whole, the thing as a whole. Um, the eighth hitter stuff, a little of that does go in there. But, but do you think that the biggest factor in the, the correlation between batters would be the only constant would be the pitching, right? So really, mm-hmm. really, when it comes to figuring out the, the if we were to figure out the, cor- the factors that increase or decrease the correlation between hitters, isn't, is, could it be that it's already factored into the pitching anyway? Could be. I mean... Because would that be the only thing that, I mean, what, what's the... They could only bat one at a time. So one guy's, uh, well, this guy did well, so this guy has to do like that. Like from a batting perspective, it doesn't make any sense. But the only thing that's constant is the pitching. So it, I mean, I may be stating the obvious. The worse the pitcher is, it correlates to every batter in the lineup because they're they're a shitty pitcher. Right. And, And that's definitely like a fine assumption to make. Like every hitter more or less is in the same matchup on his team. They're all facing the same pitcher, same umpire, same park. Um, yeah, maybe there's platoon split differences. Maybe they hit the ball to different parts of the field and there's defensive differences or whatever. Um, but generally speaking, they're all in more or less the same matchup. 
And so I think really what the correlative effects come down to, if there is ways to identify different ranges of outcomes and whatnot, is going to come down to the sequencing. You know, like are certain types of hitters or pitchers more likely to string together longer innings as opposed to, you know, rally killing strikeouts or like whatever, um, where the sequencing just doesn't doesn't make it as conducive to those really explosion outings. Right, because, I mean, we see sometimes these lineups for some of these teams where, like, we look, because we, some, some people, they look at, like, the strikeout rate or the walk rate of the, of the lineup as a whole. And I always find that to be flawed because it's like you have some of these lineups where, like, you have two guys in the lineup that are, like, fucking, like, just walking strikeouts. Like, or, like, the bottom, like, seven, eight, nine in the order. Like, you have Byron Buxton or something batting ninth. And he, like, strikes out 35% of the time. But, like, but the top of the order is, like, 14% strikeouts. 12 per, like, like, so it's, like, it's very top-heavy. Now, the, as a team, it's, like, oh, they have a 21% strikeout rate. That's pretty high. It's, like, no, actually, like, we saw, we saw, how about with the, the Pirates? I'm going back a year before. Like, a lot of people thought the Pirates sucked. But, like, a lot of their, it really depended on who was in their lineup. Because they had yeah. some guys that, like, Either like we had like Osuna and Polanco and these guys would like strike out like there's no tomorrow, but sometimes they're in the, or they aren't in the lineup and it's and it's Bell and Marte and and and, and, and they're the least strikeout heavy team on the slate and everyone's like oh got to pick on the Pirates they're terrible, um, but they're they're not striking out so like th- I mean that's another thing that I just I think a lot of times people miss is that it's not just the quality of the offense. Points are scored in different ways. Like an offense can be bad and not strike out. And so the pitcher's not as good of a play against that team than a pitcher who's facing an offense that's a little better but strikes out a lot more. Like, I don't know. The same thing with ballpark. A lot of people are like, well, I can't can't stack a team in Petco. It's like, so what? So the difference in four feet matters that much to their – they could could still sort 12 runs in Petco. They could – PNC and and, and – Pittsburgh, yeah, there are plenty of times the Pirates have scored 18 runs at home. So, like, like, yeah, it doesn't happen often. No, of course not. But people act as if, like, because you see outside of Coors, obviously Coors is the number one where it's like, got to stack Coors. Doesn't matter if the batters are $7,000. Got to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, but we see, like, you know, with, with uh, Camden and Fenway and Cincinnati even. Uh, used to be Texas. Like, you get there, there in DFS. There are certain ballparks that have that like reputation, or there's certain like got a lefties in Atlanta, you know, like that type <laughs> of thing, right? Like that based on where the walls are or something, and uh, and then you get the ones that are like up oh, Oakland, fucking never, never can't possibly be a home run in Oakland. That's <laughs> such a picture. If there's a home run in Oakland, that that means something's wrong. Like to to me. That's what I meant by like the weighting of the ballpark factor that like sometimes I'd re- sometimes even though the ballpark factor is there, like when I'm building a hundred lineups, I'd rather because I know it's over owned, just like tone that down. So I still have accurate projections to some extent, like neutral, like I almost want like the neutral, like take out ballpark factor completely only because I know that, that it tends to be over. That's why I like stacking the A's at home. Tends to be like okay, you got Chapman. Look at their lineup. You have you have so many power hitters, and then it's like oh, can't play him in Oakland against a garbage pitcher because it's a pitcher's ballpark. Like <laughs> to me, the ballpark factor is 
you weighed it the highest, but I also think it that even your weight is lower than what most people's perceptions of these ballparks are. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think it just speaks to like the nature of, of the human mind versus, versus a, an objective algorithm where the human brain needs reasons to believe in things. It needs things in, in black and white. You know, it doesn't like shades of gray and nuance and probability. It needs to say, okay, Oakland's a pitcher's park can't hit a home run there. Whereas the bat is like, okay, Oakland's a pitcher's park. Home runs are reduced there, but we're still going to see a bunch of home runs there this year. But, but that's, that's the main reason you take advantage of that in DFL. Right, I mean, exactly. like, to, to me, that's, that's the, to me, maybe my brain's broken, Cardi. I don't care about the why. Am I the only one? I, 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 we get, we get this in the bat chat. We get this in Roto Grinders. We, we get this all the time. Why is this guy a good play? And like my, like my, to me, I almost think it's like, that's like the 15th thing on my mind. That's like underneath, like when am I going to do laundry? Because like my attitude is the first, the number one question to me, because we're talking about the bat. I believe the bat is the best projection, the most accurate projection system in all of fa- fantasy baseball, not DFS, just fantasy baseball in general. And it's a testament to your work. It's what I use. It's what I, it's as my, I don't aggregate. I look around the industry, but when I, to you, to me, your projections are the best. That's what I use. I've made money utilizing that with game theory. That's what I, I, I have no problem. I could, I'll pay $3,000 for it if I needed to. You're not going to charge that, but I would. Uh, the number one question, shouldn't the number one question when playing DFS or playing anything is, do you trust the model? Like, if, yes. if you could answer that question, yes, then the whys, what do they matter? But that's the thing. You're playing at such a higher level than a lot of these people. Like, you've played for years. You've made money. You've used the bat. You know it's badass. You know it's good. You know it's the best. You know it's going to make you money. So you don't need to question any individual player because you know over time it's going to be good and it's going to be fine. If you're a newer user, you haven't used the bat before, you haven't been introduced to the theory of DFS, you're not thinking on game theory levels yet, right now you're really just trying to get a sense, I guess, of of can I trust this? This goes against what my brain is telling me. Tell me why that the math is right and my brain is wrong so I can trust it and then move on to the other stuff. And also trust it, it I always say, in a long sample size. Like, like this is just a range of outcomes today. Just because right. the results... Oh, Glenn Sparkman's a great cheap SP player, and, and ten runs he gives up. It's like, yeah, that's in his range of outcomes. He's a shitty pitcher. I mean, that's what. What, what do you expect? But the why, to me, like the goal is to make money. The goal is to build lineups and make money over over a six month season. So this could the, what happens on one night doesn't matter. I've seen in my results over four years using your projections and building plus EV lineups based on them to show me show me positive return but i mean i've always i've i've said in 2019 i say i say this in roto grinders discord just to understand the nature of large field gpp play that in gpps i've lost i in 2019 i lost 94 percent of slates 94 percent of the time i put in 600 800 worth of gpp entries and got back less than that not zero but got back less than it right six percent of the time i got back more than it I made $35,000 on the season in just in GPPs because that's 6% of the time 
is a win, is a second place, (laughs) is a fit right, is something like that. So, like, understanding that, like, you're going to be, like, these are the ranges of outcomes, but the, the variance between that is so dramatic that if you're if DFS only existed as as just one slate on one day, like you almost could throw projections out because you're never going to get a large sample. Like, feel free to just just pick anyone you. I mean, right. But that, if you're playing if you're playing GPPs and you're trying to win, you need that first percentile outcome. You need the guy that's going to be your 99th percentile outcome, whichever way you want to go. The thing is going to happen like one percent of the time. Well, guess what? 99% of the time, it's not going to happen. It doesn't make the projection wrong. It doesn't, like, it's just that's how you play the game. Like, and so I think people, I, I've seen them be blown away when you say that that 94% number, you know, how often you lose because they're like, you're a profitable, you're a profitable player. How are you possibly losing that much? And it's like. No, it's about how much you win when you do win. If you're yeah. going to play the most probable stuff, we can take a look and go, oh, stack cores, play the two guard, the pitchers that are 40% owned. How much money? You're going to be right more often. It's just that you're not going to make much money being right in that case. Oh, great. You came in 680th place playing the chalk, playing the, playing the chalk 5-3 line. You know, you don't win much money. Yeah, you win more often, but you're not actually winning because you're just bleeding your money away. So that's why using the bat, I I like I like the bat because, because it's different. Like, it's one of those things. In NBA, I, I, I view aberrations as as a weakness. So for instance, I'll look at RG projections in NBA. I'll look at Awesome O projections. I'll look at Labs projections. I'll look at ETR projections. Now as long as the minutes, typically that's just like the target share, just like an right. NFL. Like you have to judge what the rotations are going to be, 26 minutes versus 28 minutes. But for the most part, if I see an aberration of like in the in the projection, I have to assume someone is wrong. Like I, I like like that. It's just outright like, no, this guy is not playing thirty four minutes today. Like everyone else has him at twenty eight. Just like for 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 you with the blitz, like you, unless you have some obvious lean that no one else has, that some guy's gonna have a twenty eight percent target share, and everyone else is like you no know, sixteen percent. Like someone is going to be wrong there, right? Like someone is wrong. But in baseball, I view when I see the bat projecting a couple of guys that are dramatically different, especially the pitchers from other projection systems. I don't view it as, I almost view it as, no, I, I'm, I'm more likely to view that you're right. And the of it's a weird way of thinking of like, well, how could the consensus sense. be wrong and the outlier be right? While in other sports, you'd view it as the outliers most likely could be the wrong one. I think part of it is, is that like in NBA, there's less variance in these things, so they are easier to project. So everyone should be getting more or less close to it because it's easy to do. If someone is off, off in, in La La Land, like, they're probably wrong because the variance is tight. You should be here. We know you should be here. In baseball, the variance is so much wider, and there are so many things to account for. Um, there's so many additional factors in MLB that you don't have in NBA um, and not every system is accounting for it. So if not every system is accounting for every factor, how can you expect them to get to the same place as the bat or even as each other if you're not even pulling in, if you're not even accounting for the same things? So I think that's why at least I trust the bat over the other ones is because I know the bat is accounting for this, 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 and this that everyone else is just ignoring. And that's why I think I'm right. Why are they ignoring it? I mean, isn't the question, Cardi, 
if those variables mattered, why aren't the other models doing it? I'm not going to try to help my competitors out, but like, I don't know. They probably should be. Part of it is because it's hard. Sometimes they are accounting for it and they're, I mean, again, I don't know what goes into any other model, but based on the way I account for things and the way I kind of understand the way stats work and accounting for different things, like to do it right is difficult. Like it's difficult to do, it's difficult to code, it's difficult to even conceptualize and realize why this is the right way to do it. And so the bat might just have an edge because even though it's accounting for the same thing, it's accounting for it differently because it's like accounting for it in a different, better way kind of thing. Well, like the methodology is different. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But I mean, but, but I mean that, that would be a question that people would have. It's like, well, if you're, cause, cause the natural, your brain, like we said before, your brain wants to know why, me, I've already accepted the fact that, that I'm a nihilist. Nothing matters, right? Just, it's just, it is what it is. I don't need to know as long as these, these not, do I trust the numbers? Yeah, okay, good. Now I can put the lineups together and over 180 slates, I come out with money at the end. I don't give a fuck why, why, who, where they're playing, what their names are. I don't give a shit. But other people want to know why. And the first thing they're going to say is, how come the bat has this guy here? And I'm looking at these four other sources and they're telling me something else. And they're go, and they, and they ask you, they go, why? And then you, I mean, you have, you have so many factors. How do you even explain why? Just over time, I know what goes into it. I know what matters. I watch the projections change every day from minute to minute. So I know, you know, how much an umpire I should expect a projection to go up or down based on a particular umpire or, or just a pitcher being in a different park. I know like what kind of boost that's going to give him. Um, and I think another thing that a lot of times you'll see where other projection systems are maybe similar um, is that they're drawing from similar sources. Like a lot of projection systems, I think, at least they used to, uh, put Vegas lines into their into their models and, and that gets a pretty heavy weight or at least sets a structure for the whole thing. And so Vegas says, you know, this team is is, you know, this pitcher's team is going to give up five runs today. Well guess what? The pitcher is going to be projected to give up a bunch of runs because that's what Vegas is saying and that's what's going into the model. The bat doesn't use Vegas. Vegas is nowhere to be found with the bat. And so the bat can be very different than Vegas and very different than other models. And a lot of times I think it's because that line is maybe inefficient because the bat is accounting for things that the other model isn't or that maybe Vegas isn't, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, you can make arguments for Vegas. They just want even money on the sides of the lines. They're not trying to get the most efficient line, like, like whatever it is. Um, but I think that definitely has, has part of the reason to do with why the bat looks different than other systems because it's not using Vegas. And I think most others are. Right, because you have EV analytics, and a lot of people use the it. A lot of people use the bat and your projections to do sports betting. Also, I mean, like it's right. not just because, like you said, it's not based on like when it's not based on wisdom of crowds type of methodology of well, we're going to just assume this is an efficient market, and then based that bait on everything, and just like like you said, you're starting from scratch, going no, the Astros. Uh, the mean, mean projection, because a lot of times we saw that the bat didn't like the Astros because the yeah. Astros, the Astros would be, you know, 5.8 implied run total and EV analytics would say no 5.2, right? Yeah. Still not, not bad or anything, but just under everything. You'd see like the Yankees have a 6.8 implied run total yes. and EV analytics would say now that it's like a full run under. And then you had people that are like, well, bet on the under of the game. 
Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, like, the Yankees are the Yankees. People love the Yankees. Like, people want to bet on the Yankees. And so the lines for the Yankees a lot of times are higher than they should be, be just because they're the Yankees. And so if you're using that to, for your DFS projections, well, your Yankee projections might be a little high. The same thing with Coors games. Like, I've heard, I've heard, I don't know how true this is. I don't know where I heard. Maybe it's from you. Maybe I heard it from you. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, that the Coors Field lines... They're 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 basing the lines off of a season long perspective. Like like Coors Field, you're gonna get a 12 run total no matter who's pitching, no matter whatever. Because basically they just want to have an official line for all 81 games that are gonna be played at Coors Field. So in this, unless obviously you you get a stud pitcher in there or something, then the line starts coming down a little. But for the most part, as long as it's two non stud pitchers, you're gonna get like 12 to 13. And it's not even going to matter who's in the lineup or or anything. They're just basically trying to protect themselves. That over the course of 81 games, they believe X amount of runs are going to be scored at Coors Field. And as long as they're they're efficient enough on that perspective, if it's a 3-1 game today and a 16-14 game the next day, like they make money regardless. That's interesting. It wasn't me that told you that. I find that very fascinating. And I guess it kind of makes sense. Um, And it makes sense anecdotally based on what I've seen the projections do. Like there are times, say the Yankees, the bat is consistently a little lower than Vegas on the Yankees, at least last year it was, I think. Um, But cores, there will be days where the bat is a full run higher than the total. And there will be days where it's a full run lower than the Vegas total. And so if they're just kind of setting it in that middle, I mean, it makes sense, um, you know, why that would be. Right. Then this is barring, obviously, like obvious stud, like uh, DeGrom Cole, those you know, those types of guys where cores may not matter. I mean, obviously they, they, they be less efficient, but still there's much different than, than that. And, uh, and who's our favorite? Chichi Rodriguez. <laughs> Chichi Gonzalez, Jordan, Chichi, come on. Right. Well, Chichi Rodriguez was a golfer, <laughs> right? Maybe he should be pitching in cores. I mean, he really probably couldn't do much worse than a lot of the guys they trot out there. Was the, was the big, was the big, uh, edge, uh, two, two, I, I can't even count last year was the big edge in ballpark factor. The fact that, uh, that the Marlins moved in their, 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 their walls a little and, 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 and San Francisco created a wind tunnel. Yeah. That early in the season was definitely an advantage. The, the back community was on that, was on that very early. I made a, I made a manual adjustment. I said earlier, I don't make a lot of manual adjustments. I made a manual adjustment for Oracle park, probably like the second or third day of the season last year because it looked like the wind tunnel was going to have that impact and make it a little more hitter friendly. Um, so yeah, I mean, edges like that, we definitely, we definitely have, I'm going to be really interested to see how people treat the new Jays park in Florida this year. I'm going to be interested to see how they treat Arlington. It seems like, uh, the, the narrative around this new Arlington park is that it's this really good pitchers park, but like we had 30 games there last year. Like, how are you really going to say with any certainty, what kind of park this is after 30 games? You're not. To me, I just, I'm not, all I'm doing is looking to exploit the perception. Like yep, the, exactly. the re, I think the, the main reason why San Francisco was an edge last two seasons or whatever you want to call it, uh, was that it's so it's perceived so much as a pitcher's park that, like people didn't play it at all, and like, and it didn't turn into a hitter's park. It just, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a pitcher's park. It was a neutral park now. Yeah. So, so I, I, I mean, that was a legitimate extreme pitcher's park for a while. But last year, home runs were were very positive there. 
But finding finding those edges first, that's to me, to me, the bat finds them faster than anyone else. I mean, it's kind of designed to. You know, we have the the dead end ball this year. Everyone everyone's talking about how home runs are gonna come down. Well, the bat is designed to be able to detect the league run environment and the ball kind of stuff. You know, after probably two or three or four days, it's going to have a really good idea about what, what the ball is going to be doing this year. Is that, is that also, is that, does that get, uh, is that, is that multiplied because you're using StatCast data? Um, yeah, there's a little StatCast that goes into that kind of stuff. Um, but even just normal stats for that stabilize very quickly. Really? In three or four games? Yeah. On the season level, not on a player level, obviously, but right. yeah. But uh, no, in three or four, Really? Like yeah. how how do you how do you measure that uh, a dead so if the ball is deader that means what that the the fly balls are like five feet shorter or like like what like what what I mean, are you measuring now, to fe- if, in three or four so, days yeah. I could see that I mean right now the expectation is it's going to be about one to two feet shorter which is not a lot um, but we'll have to see what it winds up being but in in that many fly balls in just four days that stabilizes yeah really. Yeah. Uh, okay. This this is one of those things. My brain is asking why, and I should just go. Why do I care? As long as you tell it's me. It's funny. That- Nobody argues with me when I say that things stabilize quickly. They only argue with me when I say that platoon splits take ten years to stabilize or something like that, and they get really <laughs> offended. Nobody gets offended when I say it stabilizes quickly. Like this is good news. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, people. No. No. Because people want the quick answers. Yeah. Right. So this don't. Is what no, I but, give them. <laughs> but but would you consider that that at that. I smartly question the opposite. Whenever yeah. I see small sample sizes, I, my first thing is small sample size. How do you know? Oh, that's the way it should be. Yeah. Right. When, when you tell me that block. platoon splits don't stabilize after 10 years, I go, no, that's probably correct. Right. Like I'm not, to me, I don't question that. To me, I, 10 years, I don't think, no, Cardi, I think you're getting a little, uh, maybe five years. No, I'm going, maybe it's 20 years. Maybe 10 <laughs> years is too, too much. So when you're telling me in three, in three days, Oh, I'll, we'll know the effects of a dead ball in three days. Like, I, like my first instinct exactly. is like, how the we're fuck do you know that idea. quickly? Yeah. Uh, but this, this is why this is why the bat's the best. Uh, uh, and 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 too cheap. Is that the other bone that you thought I was going to pick with you? I, I did. You I start. Did. You you opened. You opened five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let let me make. And they, they lowered it forty percent to the three hundred bucks. I was livid. I was just like, like, uh, why? Why are you doing it? Right? For, as a business person, I'm just like, no, why? Uh, let me ask you that. This is how I'm going to make my case. Okay. You, you, like, the bat is not like automated, automated, right? You have to, you, what is your normal, uh, explain to me what your normal day on a, like, not opening day, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's Monday morning, Right. What, what, what do you, what, what do you, like the bat, it just doesn't make itself. You have to you actually do something. So what, what do you do? What, what is your day like? With every, every day is different. I mean, there's always stuff. The I'm average doing. day, you know what I'm talking about. Podcasts and shows. And I'm looking, obviously I'm looking at the bat. I'm making sure it's running smoothly. I'm looking at the pitch counts at the start of every day to make sure that every pitcher like looks where he should be. He's not coming off a rehab start or, or whatever. Um, do you have to manually put in the batting orders? That happens automatically. That ha- that happens automatically. Okay, a lot it run- of it is automatically, and I just need to make sure that it's all going in correctly and working properly and all streamlined. Okay, so uh, how so how many hours a day? Like you have to be there in order to do that. So how many uh, ha- so how many dedicated hours a day 
would you say I'm not this is this is secondary to like like all the upfront work you've put thousands upon thousands of out like this is completely separate from that right yeah. but just I, on I mean, a day-to-day basis would you say that you spend three hours of time just dedicated to making sure that the bat works and the pitch counts and everything the umpires are right and 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 you're in the bat chat answering questions or you put yeah, together I mean, a if, podcast if you're, if you're throwing in like the customer service aspect where i'm answering questions and dms and twitter and all that i mean it's all day like the, okay uh, so you're working all day it's an eight-hour day right yeah probably more like yeah a, a, probably more than that okay so an eight-hour day how we play what nb uh mlb for what six months Six, uh, yeah, six months. six months. Okay, so okay, I'm doing I'm doing the calculation. I got my little calculator here. I'm gonna bring it up. Okay, so you're gonna do 160. Let's say okay, th- three uh, six months is 180 days. Okay, let's just even it out. 180 days. You're gonna work eight hours a day. Okay, to do all that type of that's 100 and 1,440 hours. Okay, 1,440 hours, and then we're gonna divide. We're gonna put that into into 300. So you're that's uh, that's twenty point eight cents an hour, right? That isn't that twenty twenty point eight cents an hour for a three hundred dollars subscription. Uh huh. You're paying if you get the bat, you get Cardi. His whole now this does not even include that it took you years to even make did I, like all of those hours aren't even included. This is just this is just raw labor. On a day-to-day basis, twenty cents an hour you're paying, Cardi. Do you understand now why I think you should charge more? I understand. I mean, I thought it was worth it when I charged more. I mean, I, I think I think it would be completely viable to charge even way more than five hundred, and it would be worth it because I think the system is that good. I think the results have been that good. The accuracy tests always show it's the best. I, I you can ask me a question, and most days you'll get a response within seconds or minutes. Um, and it comes with a whole bunch of bonus features and stuff. Like, I think it was worth it, but I have to listen to users. You know, I got plenty of feedback from longtime users who were like, look, I love the bat. I love playing DFS, but I, I, don't, I can't justify paying this, especially in the middle of a pandemic. And I got that from enough users where I just didn't feel comfortable saying, well, sorry, you've been using the bat for five years, tough titties, like you can't use it this year. So, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe I'm making less money than, than I would have, but I feel better about myself doing it. Like I never set out to do this to try to become a billionaire. Like I did this in large part because I enjoy doing it because I like helping people. And, uh, and so, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of a balance for me. I'm a tough titties person. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there are people, there are people that, that email me for a discount code on the theory of DFS. You know what my response is? Tough titties. Right. There's no, dis- sorry, there's no <laughs> discount code. And my discount, yeah. Yeah, every once in a while, there's a $10 discount. Every once in a while or something. An affiliate's in a, you know, if you listen to the Take Cast episode, go back and you'll find that promo code. You could still use it, but you have to listen to that episode because that's the whole point. So you promote something else. But that's like $10 off. So like it's $125 for my course and you get $10 off. So that's not even, that's 8% off. So it's like my attitude, this is my attitude. If it's not worth 125, is it worth 115? Like, fucking, it's 10 bucks. Go fucking, it, it's either worth it or it's not worth it. And if you don't think it's worth it, then fucking bye bye. So I'm, t- but the point that I've always made with you is that you should be charging $3,000 for 
Like that's yeah. that's how much it's actually worth. Three, five thousand dollars for six months. See, the blitz is a different story because, like, you know, not as many slates. You know, actually, you probably have to put a little bit more human input into the blitz. Yeah. Uh, but the bat, it's like, dude, you get 180 days. That's half of the year of full-time Derek Cardi and all of his knowledge and all of his expertise into a system. You have showdown slates you could use them on. There are turbo slates to use. this, And it's the best projection system. And like, even if, if, even if you're playing, let's say you played, let's say I'm, I'm, even if we just take cash games, which I'm going to do, you know, you know what I'm doing with the bat. You're going to see, you know I mean, I'm doing what I did with NBA. So it's going to be, it's, I'm doing it without your consent because you can't stop me from doing it. <laughs> but basically I'm playing the bat op. I'm going to be playing the bat optimal across three sites and cash games and publicly documenting it. Uh, but it's my actual cash play. So like if it, if it doesn't work out, it probably looks bad on you also, but <laughs> right. But I, I'm the one that lost money on it. But if, if you just, let's say you had a 5% ROI in cash game, like it's GPPs are high variance. So you can't go by one season. So if you have a 5% win rate, like 5% ROI daily, and you play 50 bucks a day. Okay. So let's say you just play 50 bucks a day. And if 5% ROI, that's $2.50 expected return. Okay? If you pay, if you play like nearly every slate, it paid for itself, right? That's on a 5% ROI. Maybe you have a 7% ROI. Maybe you have a 10% ROI. Maybe different sites have different, you know, obviously in GPP, you could bank and have a higher ROI. So like if you play $50 a day, in 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 MLB, the bat pay that it should, no matter what you play, pretty much, pay for itself. So the fact that if you only play fifty bucks, a day, I play five thousand dollars a day. Okay, so like, to me, three hundred dollars is like how? Why is this so? Why is this so? Why is this so fucking cheap? So you, so how many how many like yeah? Obviously, if you play less than fifty bucks a day, may, maybe it's not, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe. You play once in a while, I get it. I get it. You're fine. Same thing for a Roto Grinders premium subscription. But the fact that you're, if your break even point is 50 bucks a day, most of the most of the people that subscribe to the back play pay for, play more than 50 bucks a day, probably, right? I would think so. Right. So you're losing all that money. That's the arbitrage of the market of like, if I could get so much more value out of this, and I'm getting it from the sites. You're not getting it. You're not getting that money. I'm, I, thank you. Thank you for me. Thank you for, for personally. But that's the, that, that, that's the point that I'm making from a business perspective. Or I'm either making that point to you to say that you need to charge more or I'm the best salesman for the bat that there ever is. I'll look at it that way. Right. <laughs> well, the best salesman for the bat, if, if, someone, if someone that is profitable using the bat is telling you that if you play for more than 50 bucks a day, you're going to make your money back. You're going to break even. That's your break even point of just playing 50 bucks a day. And I'm telling you that I'm willing to pay 3000 to $5,000 for it. To me, $300, like people should be like, their credit card should be just like, well, where, 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 do I, where do I sign up or anything like that? So like. I would hope so. <laughs> me, me, me picking a bone with you, I, I, th- I think is, 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 is a sales technique more, more than anything. 
Well, I appreciate it. I, I definitely see your point. Again, I thought 500 was more than fair. I'm, I'm uh, you know, a little bit of a softy, I guess. Yeah, you're giving, leaving money on the table. Yeah, maybe. Do you think $125 for my course is too cheap? Probably, yeah. Or I mean, for what it's actually... For, see, no, no. You're at least saying the probably. Me, I'm saying the bad is definitely true. No, so again, I'm, I'm thinking of it from like, what are people going to pay kind of thing. But like, from what it's worth, it, I mean, it's also worth in the thousands, easily, for what the nah, information you're getting it's out of that. not worth that much. Trust me, it's not worth that much. Well. <laughs> well, I couldn't charge that. I couldn't, ch- I couldn't charge $2,000 for 15 hours of audio. Well... Yeah. I mean, I could, I could, I mean, it just, that's what price elasticity is. How many, what's the most, but I can never blame anyone for that. I think, I, I think DFS is a kind of a weird industry. Well, I mean, among smart people, at least like I could, res- I could respect anyone that's looking to maximize what they're worth. So I can't blame, like my attitude is that if you did charge a thousand dollars, I'd be like, no, that that's, I, I good, good for him. And I'd pay it because it's worth that. And if you make more money, great. So, like, from my perspective, it's like when people are, are saying 120 Like, I, I see some posts once in a while. Uh, I can't believe $125 for whatever. I said, well, if you don't, if you think that, you're probably not going to pay 10 bucks for it either. So, like, like what does it matter? Like, what, what, what does it matter to me? It either, it either it is or it isn't. And if you're not willing to pay, that's one person that I'm making less money off of. But I think there's plenty of people that, if you think in terms of ROI, wouldn't you want, like, it's, Cardi, it's kind of weird to say. Wouldn't you want the guy that's teaching you about game theory to nail the, the, the optimal price of the actual course? Yes. Right, because yes, wouldn't that true. be the game theory move? Like, if I charge too little, it'd be like, this guy must not be good at game theory because he's charging too little. And if I charge That's too true. much, it's like, you must not be good at game theory if you're charging too much. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just like maybe your projection system is too cheap. Maybe, maybe, maybe your projection on the price point is a little, little off. <laughs> maybe it is. I haven't spent as much time on that projection. <laughs> right? The ballpark, what, depends on what ballpark it's in. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, but your, 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 the bat, the, your projection system is still cheaper than Rugnet Odor. <sighs> Rugnet Odor. I am so, um, I really, really hope he doesn't sign with somebody this year. Cause I just don't want to deal with him. No, you want, you want him to sign for, for an NL team in a pitcher's park or, and him yeah, bat so, nine. So not going to be as tempted. That's fine. Right. Something he like can that. sign with the Marlins. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Cardi, people could find the bat at at uh, at Rotogrinders, Rotogrinders dot com slash the dash bat. If uh, you still have season long leagues going on, it's at Fangraphs. It's for free. And uh, if you're sports betting, there's going to be um, some some beefed up sports betting products using the bat and some other stuff at at EV Analytics this year. It's going to be great. And what do you mean yep. that the, on Fangraphs is free? That's the season-long projection. Season-long, yeah. So, like, if you're drafting, you know, an NFBC league or a home league that, that goes for the whole season, you can see, you know, Mike Trout is projected for 42 home runs by the Bad X this year. And that'll update throughout the course of the season. Um, but not 42 yeah. home runs today, right? It's no, not, not today. DFS. If you want today's projections, you can only go to Roto-Grinders. That's the only place that has them. And then EV Analytics, that stuff. But even even with the bat, you, you have the, the statistical 
projections for the bat as well. So you could like, it'll show like basically you're, you're giving percentages. So yeah. if you want to bet on home run props, like when it shows that uh, Cody Bellinger home run 0.28, that signifies like basically 28% chance to hit a home run. And then if you want to go to a sports book and look what the, you know, the betting line is on the home run prop, if, and then you could find arbitrage there. And I, I know, I know that, I know that there are people in the, the bat chat. I remember, I remember, I, I'm always going to say last year because the, the year, the COVID year doesn't count. Uh, made a bunch of money off of yeah. really inefficient uh, home run prop lines. Yeah. I remember Jay, uh, so. I remember Jay Bruce day. I remember that in bat chat was, there was some line that it was like, Jay Bruce, you had like at like 30% chance to hit home run. And he was like plus 600 or something yep. on, on one of the sports books. And like everyone in chat hammered it. Yep. So uh, yeah, there'll be a lot of that kind of stuff probably at, at EV analytics this year, helping you with props, helping you with game lines. Um, they got this really cool line service that lets you find the best line in real time across dozens of books. You can find where the best place to bet is like lots of cool, you know, a bunch of my analytics are over there. So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff there this year. And then people could find you at Derek Cardi on Twitter. They could, uh, they could uh, troll you, right? We, we got We got to wait, whatever takes. Are you going to have, are you going to have, are, are you going to do the donkey plays? Are you going to do that? That chalk donkeys? Are they going to, I don't know. You told me not to do the chalk donkeys. So I don't know. Maybe they'll make an appearance for MLB some days, but, uh, you tell me it's a bad business move. Well, all you're doing is highlight. It's no, you do that. No, you do the tout thing. You do it after. Oh, after. Okay. Right. Cause remember all your stuff's behind the paywall. And then you could say, well, these were the plays when they work out. <laughs> right. And then if they don't work out, you just don't mention it. That's, that's the tout way to do it, I guess. Huh? That's the way you, you <laughs> highlight the good things. And you kind of like, eh, right. Right. Oh, when Odor hits three home runs in a game. The bad is the best. The bad is the best. Here's the screenshots. And when Odor goes <laughs> 0 for 4 every other day, it's kind of like, yeah, I hope no one else scores at second base today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Derek Cardi, the bat. Check that out. Roto Grinders, obviously, the theory of daily fantasy sports. It, exi- it helps you in baseball also. It's for all sports. So it's not like sports specific. So it's the entire game theory of DFS. Take the 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.